Hello? Oh, hello. Um, so I'd just like to say thank you to John and everyone at 515 for um, inviting me here. Um, and a special thanks to Eleanor O'Keefe, without whom I probably wouldn't be standing here. Um, I was initially incredibly reluctant to do this. I've never really spoken about my public shaming before, as John mentioned. Um, but then a friend pointed out, you know, you've been to prison. You've taken tea and toast with serial killers. Compared to that, this will hopefully be nothing. <laughs> I'm sure everyone here has had their bad days. Um, I'm not talking about minor indiscretions like being a bit late for work or short-tempered with your kids. I mean, bad. Unfortunately for me, and indeed for everyone around me, on December the 9th, 2010, <clears throat> all of my bad tastes came at once. Excuse me. Um, as some of you might remember, that year was a time of incredible political activity. The coalition government had only just come to power. They hadn't really got their hooks in yet, and for some reason that was quite, uh, that really got people's imaginations going. <clears throat> um, there was this incredible optimism in the student movement, a sense that perhaps this time we could really change something. Not that I was a particularly great asset to the student movement. <clears throat> While this great political turmoil was underway, I was undergoing my own intensely personal crisis. To cut a long story short, that summer I'd attempted a reunion with my biological father, and it hadn't really gone that well. On paper, he seemed like just my sort of guy. He was an actor, a poet, an activist, a magician. He'd once stolen Christmas from Harrods and had been thrown out of the magic circle for being too drunk. I had a feeling we'd get along. But unfortunately, it wasn't to be, and for some reason, this affected me badly. My drug use, which had admittedly for a while been recreational, came to resemble something closer to self-harm. By the time the student movement kicks off, I was a mess. Back to December the 9th, it was an important day. The increase in tuition fees was being voted on in Parliament and a big protest was being organised. Some students had been up all night, painting signs, making banners, planning the routes. I'd been up for three days taking drugs. It wasn't really going to go that well, as you'll see from this clip. Let them eat cake. Let them eat cake. Let them eat cake, they said. We won't eat cake. We'll eat fire and ice and destruction because we're angry. This isn't really a tale of woe because the truth is I'd been an idiot. On that day, I'd managed to pop up wherever there was mischief to be made, like some sort of lawless whack-a-mole. <laughs> Ranting and raving on Parliament Square, riding on the bonnet of Prince Charles's security car, <laughs> running off down the streets with a mannequin leg from God knows where. <clears throat> I was heading for a fall. Before I woke up the next day, the image of the protester, me, swinging from the Union Jack on the side of the cenotaph had gone viral. I've always been a bit of a neophobe. I never had MySpace. I reluctantly joined Twitter. Uh, sorry, not Twitter. Facebook. My introduction to Twitter was, for, was people calling for me to be executed as a traitor. I can understand, seriously, I can understand why a lot of people are pissed off. As a member of a veterans organization I later met pointed out, 
In modern conflicts, there's sometimes no body to bury. For the families and friends of dead soldiers, sometimes the cenotaph is all there is. Having said that, an awful lot of people jumping in didn't seem to fit into this profile. Some other force seemed to be at work. Beneath the anger, there was a sort of demonic glee. A lot of people seemed to be jumping on this shaming bandwagon without really bothering to check the details. As one of my many, many, many new correspondents screamed at me in shouty caps, how dare you defile the sacred centigraph? Others were so eager to be outraged, they started telling each other that I had torn down the flag, pissed on the cenotaph, or even smeared shit on it. Although that last one could have been an innocent mistake. After all, there's just a few letters between desecrate and defecate. Whatever people's motivations, I think I deserved a bit of a shaming. My family thought so too. Over the next few days, as my public shaming unfurled in the press and the media, a very private shaming was taking, home, <clears throat> was taking place in my family home. The night before I was arrested, my family and friends sat me on a high stool underneath a bright overhead light and threw accusations at me until I broke down. They made me see things clearly for the first time in months and then, symbolically, cut off my long hair with a pair of kitchen scissors. A bit melodramatic, perhaps, but it worked. <laughs> I got a grip stopped doing drugs, and realized how lucky I was to have the family I did. Miraculously, the shaming had done its job. But it was far from over. Back in the 18th century, people who pissed off the community would be put in the stocks, screamed at, have rotten fruit thrown at them. Uh, but it would usually only last a few hours. Afterwards, they'd generally be allowed back into the fold. Today, however, shamings are carried out for their own sake, as entertainment more than anything. Strangely, the newspapers that claimed to be the most outraged by the cenotaph picture were also the ones that never missed an opportunity to republish it. In a newspaper sense, outrage seems to be the new sex. It sells. As Caroline spoke about, one of the things that struck me was the incredible misogyny of some of these attacks. Both in the press and online, my mother took some of the worst abuse. Cut out her womb! was a strangely common demand, <clears throat> which was obviously deeply upsetting, but also seemed strangely irrational. I'm not comparing my mother to a stable, but it did seem to be a case of wanting to close the barn door 20 years after the horse had fled. <laughs> as well as trial by Twitter, as John mentioned, I ended up with an actual trial to contend with, and I'd just like to say thank you to Roberts, my excellent lawyer who had a hopeless case to try and contend with because um, I really incriminated myself. <laughs> anyway, eight months down the line, I was fine, found guilty of violent disorder and sentenced to 16 months in prison. John asked me if I'd speak a bit about prison as a form of shaming, which isn't hard to do because, to my mind, the whole thing is a form of institutionalized humiliation. As I quickly found out, my body was no longer my own. It was a shock to be stripped of my court clothes and stand there naked while the prison officer looks first behind my ears, under my tongue, behind my scrotum, my butt, 
Not even my foreskin had privacy anymore. And this was something that was constantly reinforced. A few days later, a pair of prison officers stopped me on the wing and ordered me to put my hands in the air. I was naive and for some reason thought they were having me on, so I laughed, expecting them to laugh along, which they didn't. <clears throat> we can do this to you any time we like, said one as the other patted me down, and we can do rectal searches too. Really, if you're a responsible adult threatening to stick your hands up some kid's butt, who's the one who should be ashamed? A lot of the time, I think public shamings reflect much more badly on the people carrying them out. Before I went to prison, rape was definitely one of my worst fears. From Hollywood's descriptions of prison life, I imagine my sentence would be one long war of attrition against sexual assailants. And it really seemed to capture the imagination of some of my trolls too. As one visually inspired individual wrote, I hope your ass looks like the Japanese flag when you get out. Thankfully, it, it didn't happen. But again, this seems like an example of something that John writes about in the book. The total lack of proportion of modern shamings. A few hours in the stocks I could understand, but gang rape? Really? Even though rape turned out to be nothing but the distant fantasy of anonymous enemies, that didn't mean the prison experience had been devoid of terror. As John writes about in his book, online shamings have real-world consequences, sometimes terrible ones. They're extrajudicial forms of punishment, and sometimes they can go a bit too far, as I found out. On one occasion, a prison officer, obviously a Daily Mail reader, locked me in a cell with a convicted murderer, which, which is fine, you know, you, you can't really have anything against convicted murderers when you're in prison. But uh, this man had attacked so many other inmates that he was absolutely forbidden from having anyone in his cell. And when I got out, I actually did a bit of research on this guy. Um, and it turns out he'd been paid to, to kill someone and dispose of the body, which he did very professionally until on his way to the land fill or quarry, uh, he started waving the dismembered arm out of the window, which, as you can imagine, is how he got caught. <laughs> anyway, according to him, the prison officer who had locked me in had asked me if he would be so kind as to do me in, uh, uh, which is, I think, slightly out of proportion to the things that I did. Um, anyway, it was only because this prisoner was under the impression that he was the one who ran the prison not the prison officers, that he didn't go along with it. <clears throat> anyway, this was actually something that happened a few times. Um, and when I got out, as you can imagine, I was a little unhinged. Um, they say in prison that even after you're let out, it'll be a long time before you can take off your prison shirt. And that was definitely true in my case. For a long time after, I was deeply paranoid, anxious. Not, you might agree, without cause. But the shaming had carried on. Oh, sorry. Oh, yes. Hello. Okay. I'm, it's okay. <laughs> anyway. The first flush of public opprobrium had done its job. With the help of my family and friends, I'd turned things around. But the shaming had carried on beyond all reasonable bounds. I don't think anyone, whether they're on the giving or receiving end of modern public shamings, comes out of them particularly well. For a long time after, I feared that the hornet's nest of my shaming would be stirred again, if I showed my face in public. In fact, I think it's only now, five years down the line, 
that I really began to feel it's okay to get on with my life. I'm not calling for an uncritical society. Some people really do need a slap in the face, um, and I definitely did. But it does seem like compassion gets a particularly rough ride in the 21st century. We're constantly being bombarded with all this decontextualized data, and outrage is often just the easiest response. Outrage is easy. Understanding takes effort. Human beings are mixed up and troubled creatures. I know I certainly was. Perhaps in future, instead of crying, how dare they, we should ask ourselves, how are they? Thank you. Charlie. I'm going to say, I, um, that was um, incredibly brilliant, Charlie. Yeah, I'll let them carry on. That, that wasn't that just amazingly brilliant? Um, thank you. Thank you. I just, thank you. Thank you very much. Don't go yet. I just, I just have just a couple of really quick questions I wanted to ask you. Um, firstly, you, you talked about the kind of disproportionate shaming on social media and so yeah. on. But I remember a lot of people at the time, you may feel that you may not want to comment on this, but I think a lot of people at the time felt 16 months was a really disproportionate sentence. Um, I mean, I was in prison, so I wasn't really looking on Twitter. <laughs> but... Um... Do, you, do you think 16 months was disproportionate? Uh... I mean, I think, except for maybe 1% of the prison population, no amount of prison is proportionate for anyone. I think it's a massively overused, coercive tool um, that doesn't really help anyone. So I would say, except, like you write about, or, you know, like the sort of 1% of psychopaths who are murderous psychopaths, I think for other people there should be other options. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it seemed to me that, um, and I remember a lot of people sort of thought this at the time, that this was, this was like old justice trying to stamp out social justice. Um, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> um, and also, I wanted to say, that thing you said about being put in the room with the guy and told to do it, like, are you saying that, that a prison officer, like, wanted this guy just to punish you for no reason, what, to, to kill you or to beat you up or what? I mean, talk, talk more about that. Um, I mean, I think... Uh, at the time I sort of thought like you know I'm being played this guy has made this up to get me in his debt because he wants me to smuggle drugs into the prison and, and then he never asked me for anything and he just sort of uh, this guy we ended up sort of becoming friends me and this, this arm guy um, <laughs> you know even though he wasn't entirely armless Um, but he never asked me for, for anything. Um, so I do believe he was, he was telling the truth. I mean, a lot of prison officers are ex-military. They're frustrated. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're frustrated people. I can sympathize. They want to sort of let out some steam by having this sort of posh boy turned into minestrone soup. Um, but uh, what was the question? Um, whether he really wanted you to be kind of hurt or oh, killed, yeah, yeah. the officer. I, I think... Definitely, definitely they did. Wow. For sure. 
Um, in, my, in my public shaming book, I talked to a, a prison psychiatrist called James Gilligan, who said that all prison violence um, is to do with the fact that the prisoners felt um, profoundly shamed from, from children on. And in fact, yeah. all violence is an attempt to replace shame with self-esteem. Yeah. Having been inside prison with violent people, did, did that ring true to you? One of the things that I really, really noticed in... Um, prisoners, perhaps there more than anywhere, towards paedophiles, there is this no punishment is bad enough for them. They should have their testicles stapled to the floor and then set on fire and stuff, which I think is because a lot of people in prison have had really fucked up lives and childhoods and stuff like that, so you can really see where that anger might come from. Okay, Charlie, thank you very much indeed. That was thank just you. amazing. Thank you.